the end of our four-week journey that we've been on. For three weeks ago, we began exploring a new paradigm of evangelism. We asked the question, what if, what if evangelism really was as simple? What if, what if sharing your faith really was as simple as just taking a walk across the room? We've been reminded that the very greatest single gift that we could offer anybody is a relationship with the God who created their soul. We looked at what it meant to, to live a life of 3D, developing friendships, followed by discovering stories, and then discerning appropriate next steps. This 3D framework reminds us that we are to slow it down a little bit in our relationships, slow down in our communication with people, allow others to tell their story, and for us to begin to think about, God, in the midst of this conversation, how might I reflect you? How might you use me? Last week we dove into the power of story, reminding us the, the, just how much weight our words carry and how that we need to be a people who steward God's story and be willing and able when asked to, to tell the story of God and, and how His story has interacted with our story and how we've come to faith because of it. Today our topic is, for the final time, is Grander Vision Living. I would venture to guess that, that in this series it has been a wake-up call for some of us. For we have come to be reminded of the great value of taking walks across the room and just might God use us in some amazing way. How, how do we then as individuals, as a congregation, how do we, how do we keep this, this fire burning for the coming days and weeks and months and years and, and not just have it be a one-time shot, just a, a one four-week experience, but, but how does it become a catalyst for significant life change to transform how we look at other people and to transform how we live our lives as an ambassador of Jesus? I hope today, in our final time, that we just plant a seed to talk about what it might look like in your life to live the grander vision of God. The grander vision of God, the plan that God has for your life, from the very beginning, who He's hoped that you would be, it becomes our choice. Will we live the grander vision or, or will we live something less? I want to begin by taking you on a little four-minute vacation. How many could use a vacation? All right, how many longer than four minutes? Uh, okay, four minutes today. If you were to be transformed right this moment, if we could do that and take you to some island off of the Bahamas somewhere, and you found yourself there and decided you wanted to do a little scuba diving as soon as you got there, sounds good, doesn't it? So uh, within 20 minutes, you've got your flippers and you got your mask and you got your whatever that thing is. What's that thing? That's why they call it snorkeling. Snorkel, thank you. And uh, you get out on the boat and they've got you out to where you're going to be and the, and the captain gets you to the right spot and he drops you off and... There you are in the blue ocean with the rhythm of the water beating against you and there's no clouds and the air is 78 and the water is too. You're there to snorkel, but for right now you're just kind of relaxing in the water. Just kind of watching the gentle swell of the water as it comes up and goes down and the beautiful sunshine on the top of the water. It sounds pretty peaceful to me. But what if I were to tell you that right under the water's surface, right below your, your, your line of sight, you are missing an unbelievable universe of activity. 
You finally uh, get, get ready and you get the mask on and you've got it fit. You think just tight and you get that snorkel in your mouth and you put your face in the water for the first time and all of a sudden the world changes. And you begin to ask yourself questions. Where did all these fish come from? Have they been at my feet the entire time? Why haven't I felt them? And then there's usually the panic of, is that a barracuda over there? And as you're trying to swim away from that, there becomes the the bright yellow and neon yellow angelfish. They they swim the whole school right in front of you. And you look down and you see the ocean floor. You can see the bottom of the ocean. And you think, has that been there the whole time? Has the water been that clear? And I just haven't been able to see it. The contrast is baffling. Pick your mask up and look at the surface. And it's calm and tranquil. Put your head back under the water and there's movement and there's vibrancy. Pick your mask up. And it's serene, back down, color, complexity. Back up, silent, back under, breathtaking commotion. Back up, smooth, back under, awe-inspiring chaos. Life from an entirely different perspective. God has much more in mind for your life than just surface living. Living life with a grander vision. Living life in a grander vision. What, what that might that look like? Well, since we're already at sea, I thought maybe a good fish story might help us. So I want us to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. The, the format is pretty straightforward this morning. We're going to read this passage of Scripture from Luke 5. We're going to talk about it a little bit, maybe from a way you haven't always thought about it. I'm going to offer two observations and a challenge. And I'd invite you to stand for the Gospel reading this morning. Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, "Put Put out in deep water, and let down the nets for the catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish, their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come help them. And they came and filled both boats full. So full, they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to him, Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. You can be seated. Can you place yourself there? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what it must have been like for Peter, James, and John on this amazing day, this miraculous catch? This is the mother load of fishing. I mean, there's some guys in our church that tell quite a big fish story, but they've never told anything as big as this. So big that the nets are overflowing. They're breaking. So big they've got to call friends to help. So big that when they get the fish in the boats, they're beginning to sink. This is quite a red-letter day. And after that, Jesus essentially says... Uh, Peter, James, and John, let me tell you something. You think that was good? You've, you've given your life to be fishermen. But what I'm inviting you to do right now 
is to become fishers of men and women. And instead of investing your precious time in catching six-inch fish, what if we went after the six-footers? I'm asking you to give up everything for the sake of people's souls. Come with me and see what real living is all about. One of the things that I find so interesting about this story is that it's kind of an odd miracle. But I think that it sets up one of the most critical aspects of Jesus' teaching, the comparison between small fish and big fish. You think about that for a moment. They've arrived on the scene. They're, ever since Jesus is there, ever since we've seen him arrive in the Gospels, and even up to this day, Jesus has done one thing. He has asked the question of people. He asked it not only of fishermen, but he asked it of businessmen and women, stay-at-home moms and dads, bus drivers and presidents, actors, singers, hairstylists, pro football players, professional chefs, retail managers, pilots, lawyers, teachers, preachers, and all of the rest of us. Jesus asks this one question. Are you going to throw your one and only life into pursuing small fish, or are you going to take the risk and go after the human one. Jesus asked this one question. Are you going to take the one life that you've been given and live the way God has planned you to live or are you going to live differently? The choice he leaves to us. Are you going to live a grander vision or are you going to settle for your plan which is probably, well, it is much less. I said two observations. Here's the first one. The priority is people. Jesus desperately wanted these three career fishermen, as well as the fine people of Sandpoint Nazarene, to understand that life is about people. In grander vision living, people are always the priority. He, he wanted them to understand that people ought to be the top of anything else that asks for our attention. Prioritizing people, that's what this four-week series has been about. It's been talking about the people that are in our life that are already in the sphere of our influence, loving them enough, caring about them enough that we're willing to walk across the room and open ourselves up to look at others with radical inclusiveness, even if they look different or talk different or act different or vote different, and the list goes on. And so Jesus asked us, will you be people who live into my plan for your life or will you do something else? Will you be people who, who are the ambassadors for, for who I am? Will you be people who walk across the room or will you settle for something different? It's the big fish opportunity that awaits us all. You can catch fish or you can become fishers of men and women. You can let the spotlight on you or you can let your light shine in such a way that it affects the lives of people that are around you. Matthew 5.16, Jesus says, Let your light shine before others in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine in such a way. I just want to take that phrase. In fact, just the phrase, in such a way. To, to say in such a way seems like that there's more than one way then. If it's such a way, there must be choices that we can make. And I, I think Jesus is saying, you have a choice. You have been given this gift of salvation. You have a choice. Will you let this light shine or not? Will you let your light shine and point others to the Father or will you keep it to yourself and keep the Father from them? Make your light shine in such a way. I think Jesus is saying that, that people can come to know you by watching your life. 
I think he's saying that people can come to understand who the Father is by watching your life and the decisions that you live and how you embrace them and the priorities of your life. When your light shines, it isn't your light. It's His. You see, you don't have to be... I think sometimes we just think we don't, we're not up to the task. But you don't have to be any more talented than you are, any richer, any slimmer, any smarter, any more or less of anything to partner with the God who has created you. All you have to do is be willing to be used in your everyday moments of life. And when those of us who call on the name of Christ start pulling our own weight and letting our light shine into the world to let people know that they matter, then the kingdom stuff starts to explode in the world. But that's not all. See, one of the reasons I think that Jesus is so convinced that we ought to live a grander vision is one, it is how the kingdom is built. But I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that God wants us to live out the grander vision of plan because it is exactly how our souls are fed. When you and I take up residence in this vibrant, otherworldly life called grander vision, we don't want to go back to the smooth, serene surface of the ocean again. We don't want to go back looking for a few paltry perch anymore. We, we don't want to throw our, all of our energy into amassing a few more things. Why? Because those things no longer scratch the itch of our soul. Jesus knew that if you and I would build a lifestyle of accepting people and getting to know people and caring about people and serving people and loving people and exposing people to spiritual things, prioritizing the people of our life, we would never crave the old way again. Observation two, grander vision living is that the focus is always on potential. It didn't seem to matter to Jesus that his soon-to-be disciples, these probably teenage boys, that their first response was a little south of obedient. Remember, Jesus says, throw your nets over, and, and you can just hear the tone of their life. Uh, you know, Jesus, we did that. We did that. We've been doing it all night. We've already done that. We've already been there. I think the insinuation is, Jesus, we might know better how to do this than you do. By anyone's standards, these guys weren't the disciples of the year, weren't winning that award just quite yet. They are, they are not the most obvious choice if God is going to send the Messiah. These, these are not the most obvious choice that anyone would have given. But Jesus saw in these guys what they could be like. He saw in them what God had planted in their lives. He saw the potential of grander vision. And I don't know about you, but I'm sure it's glad that God has seen some potential of grander vision in us. Because there's so often that we look at ourselves in the mirror and we think, how, how can I do that? How can I really be who God has called me to be? Do you understand that God is not going to let you fail the calling of your life if you will let him? He has given you everything you need. He sees that potential in you. Last week we looked at the befores and afters, and if you're in the small groups throughout the week, that was part of the lesson, to look at what I was like before Christ and my encounter with God, what I was like after, various areas of our life. And I, I looked at that list of befores, and I thought, how amazing is God's grace that he can look at those lists of befores in our life and still love us. Because he sees the potential in who we are created to be. And I hope that you and I, with the same radical inclusiveness, view others in the same potential that God has viewed us. Remembering that he saw something so valuable in us, right in the middle of our befores, right in the middle of our sinfulness. 
And we are called to see with his eyes as well. Often, Jesus' teachings would uproot and transform lives. That happened in, in the uh, guy named Levi or Matthew. Two names, same guy. It's a little later in chapter 5. We didn't read it, but it's in 527. Jesus is, is going along and he finds the tax collector sitting at the tax booth. Now, <laughs> I didn't say this in first service. I've been trying to get a hold of the IRS, Jamie and I, for the last three weeks. All right? Every time we call, we go through the voicemail jail. We do all the whole thing. Every time we get to the end, I mean, and it's like 15 minutes to get to the end, the final recording is this. I'm sorry for what you need today. We cannot take your call. Please try back another business day. I'm convinced that these tax collectors are people totally outside of faith. Um, and so when I think Jesus is looking at these tax collectors, and I, and I see the frustration that people would have with them. And Jesus walks up to these guys, and he says, follow me. And Matthew gets up. I think his comrades thought he must have been out of his ever-loving mind. Why on earth would a successful businessman stand up and, and walk away from, from this, this, great, this great business? But Matthew was soon to discover that following this homeless rabbi and living out the grander vision of God's plan for his life would be far more fruitful than any riches the world could ever give. Follow me, he said to Matthew on that afternoon. And in a flash, the unscrupulous tax collector left everything, including the open cash register, and followed Jesus. In those early days as a disciple, Matthew probably didn't know all that he'd gotten himself into. He probably said, yes, I want to live the grander vision. Now, what does that mean? What ought to I do? I think sometimes we understand that. I promise you two observations and one challenge. And here's the challenge. Start small, but start somewhere. Like Matthew, you might be chomping at the bit to live the grander vision of life. You have the people priority. You understand the potential. You're, you're just perplexed on what you should do tomorrow. What you should do now to live that out. We, we've talked about it all this time of, of ways of getting out of our comfort zone and listening and all of those, but, but I want you to see the example of Matthew. Here's just one way. Matthew, Matthew was a newly converted disciple and, and, and he had this deep desire and acceptance for, for the people that he loved and he wanted them to find the hope that he had found in Jesus. But Matthew hadn't had time to go. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't go to Evangelism 101. He didn't go to discipleship training. Uh, Matthew only had what he had. And one of the things that Matthew did, because of his profession he was really good at, one of the things he could do is he could throw a party. And that's exactly what he decided to do. Matthew decided to take a walk. He cleared it with Jesus and his disciples, and here was his plan. Now keep in mind, Matthew was a brand new, brand new uh, Christ follower. Giving was, was not exactly on his natural-born tax collector list. He didn't know any good worship choruses, and he didn't have the prayer thing down, but he knew how to throw some parties. And he saw those tax collectors, those, those guys that are in the, in the booth, that, that are exactly where he was. And now he's in this circle of comfort, and now they're in the, the zone of the unknown. And what could he do? How could he reach out to them? So Matthew hatches a plan. He throws a party, but it's not just a regular party. Matthew invites all of his tax collector buddies and all of his new Christian buddies to the same party. And he wonders to himself, 
If I were to put them in the same room together, maybe good things might happen. If they began to hang out together and, and my new Christian buddies would take a walk across my living room and hang out with my tax collector buddies and start conversations with them, and maybe they could even talk about how crazy Matthew is. But seeds would be planted and friends would be made. And what if somebody was actually to come to faith because my Christian friends are living their light so well that it makes a difference to my tax collector friends who have yet to see Maybe it's just as simple as that. Maybe it's just putting people in a room together who are willing to have conversations and then just let the Holy Spirit plant seeds and begin to work. And as I read this story of Luke 5 and I think of Matthew, I think how easy it would have been for Matthew to be utterly consumed by this transformation that he'd had in Jesus. He could have been so enamored with the life change of his life that he'd left the tax collectors in the booth and walked away and just held on to the new friends. But that's not what he did. But it's easy to do. Remember week one, the circle of comfort? It's so easy to hang out in places that are comfortable. It's so much more difficult to go into the zone of the unknown and start a conversation. But Matthew, Matthew chose to do that. He chose to prioritize the people in his life within the sphere of his influence to share what God has done in his life. Matthew threw what we call a Matthew party. Wouldn't be such a bad idea. Get your tax collector friends. Get your friends who are sitting around you. Come together. Make it a good barbecue. Maybe some rhubarb. What would it look like? See, sometimes I think we want to just live this grand vision and we want to be who God wants us to be. And sometimes it might just be as easy as bringing people together in conversation and letting His Holy Spirit do the work. Matthew chose to see the potential in his tax-collecting friends. I mean, Matthew, he was not a candidate for disciples. Who, who would have thought that? Who would have ever picked Matthew? I mean, it was probably big news when Matthew left what he was doing and followed Jesus. It, it probably made the Capernaum Chronicle or, or the Desert Daily Bee or whatever it is they read. Matthew, he didn't have his act together. He didn't have it all figured out. He didn't have every answer, but he had this. He had a hope in Jesus, and that changed his life completely. And it compelled him to action. You see, the choice that Matthew had was he could either live into God's plan for his life or he could choose something less. But Matthew knew that God had saved him for a purpose, a purpose that included more than his own salvation, but to live out the light of the world, a purpose centered in living the grander vision, in making the potential that we see in others our focus. A purpose that included walking across the room because people are the only thing you're going to take to heaven one day. I read a story this week about a guy who was speaking to a group like you and, and um, he took out of his pocket this roll of stickers. And he, and he unfurled this roll of stickers, these blue stickers. And as he's talking with people, he's walking around the platform and he's, and he's sticking stickers on, on various things, these little blue stickers. And, and he had a, had a model of a, of a home and he, and he put a sticker on the, on the home and he had a model of a, of a Hot Wheel car and he put a blue sticker on the car and he had a model of a, a, a desk and, and he put a sticker on the desk. And as he, as he kept talking, he said to the people, he said, you, you probably can't see it, you might be too far away, but written on each one of these stickers is one word. The word is temporary. And if you're living for any of these things, 
when you're living a life of temporary pleasure and temporary satisfaction and temporary fulfillment. And now the audience is silent as he walks around the room and he keeps putting stickers on things. Temporary. 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 And he walked over to to, to other things and, and took out his stickers and he just kept putting the stickers. Temporary. Again and again and again. Temporary. You see, there's only one thing in this room that is not temporary. And the blue stickers just continued to fill the room. There is one thing in this world that is not temporary. When you get to the end of your life and take your last breath, what do you want your life to have been about? It really is about people. No earthly commodity is going to make it into the next world. Not land, not homes, not bank accounts, not titles, not achievements. Only souls. Jesus Christ taught that every human being would be resurrected in eternity to live in community with God in heaven or to live apart from God in hell. And because Jesus understood the eternal realities, he poured himself in over and over and over again into the one thing that matters for eternity. People. You know, I don't know what the final assessment of my life will be when I'm gone. But I know this much. I resolve this much in the days in which I have left. My quote, my quest is to seek people out and point them towards faith in God and to do my best to live the plan God laid out for me. To invest in anything else is a pursuit of lesser vision and it is the trapping of the temporary. So the invitation Jesus extends. Will you live into the grander vision of living or, or will you settle for something less? Back to the imaginary vacation. I, I really don't think that Christ ministered and died for the sake of giving us an, evil, an, an even, calm, tranquil, at-ease life. A smooth, silent, serene float on the water's surface. I don't think that was God's for once you start walking with Christ, everything is fair game. His ways start infiltrating your ways. His thoughts get into the nook and crannies of your thoughts. His desires ooze into your own heart desires. And from that moment on, you never are the same. And that, my friends, is why we walk across rooms. What a magnificent gift the world is waiting for. The gift of relationship with the one who is not like any other. The one who set aside it all, to reach out to people on the beach and on the road. The one who saw faithful disciples in dripping wet, smelly fishermen. The one who saw a passionate follower in the booth of a wretched tax collector. The one who saw limitless opportunities in something as simple as a party. The one who looks at each one of us in this room and sees an incredible, grand plan. The God who created you, who calls you and says, live your light in such a way that others might give glory to God. The God who looks at potential in you no matter where you find yourself today and believes far more in you than you believe in yourself. The God who calls you with the days you have left 
what will you do with them? Will you live the grand life of his vision? Or will you choose to live something less? I think God would like to do incredible things through the people in this room if you're willing to walk across the room. Would you stand? Father, we give thanks for this day, a day of worship, a day in your presence, a day uh, singing and reading about the great gifts that you give us and the God who is indescribable and who saves. But God, I am reminded through this series and through this passage, you have not just saved, but you have saved for a purpose. And all of us in this room have a purpose, have a calling, have a direction, have a ministry, have, a, have people that we care about who, who don't yet have relationship with you and, and you'd like to shine through us by the way we live and by what we do to reflect the light of Christ. So God, my prayer is for the people in our life who are in our influence. May we... May we live so closely to you that they see the difference that you make, that they see the hope that we have, the foundation that isn't shaken. May we live so closely to you that the lights of Christ might shine through us. So Lord, as we go from this place, help us to be your people. Help us to be people who choose to live in your path. Help us to make decisions that are about eternity. And may your grace and your peace rest so greatly in us that regardless of what we find ourselves in the midst of, our joy is in you. May your blessing rest as we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord bless you as you go.